So we're going we're gonna to dive in right away while the parents are taking the kids up and uh, putting them into Sunday school. I have a bit of an introduction to today's word uh, because here, listen, we're in the book of Jonah. If you have a Bible with you, a printed version, if you don't have one, we have some at the back. You could grab one or maybe on your iPhone, your tablet, whatever it might be. Open to the book of Jonah. We are concluding chapter four and we are concluding our time in the book of Jonah. So let me ask you a question. How many of you, when we started uh, nine weeks ago, were thinking like, okay, Glenn, this is, we, we've heard this story before. It's, it's 2,700 years old. Uh, it's in the Old Testament. It's only four chapters, and you said we were going to be in it for nine weeks. How many of you nine weeks ago thought, wow, we're going to be going really slow. How's that going to work? Anybody? Yeah. But let me ask you this question. Have you learned anything new? I just have to say, like, as the person who's been doing, Rudy's been also preaching through this and uh, uh, doing some of the preparation to bring the messages. Uh, I know this story. I've been through this story in my life many times. I wasn't a, a believer when I was a kid, and so I didn't get the Sunday school flannel graph lessons on, on Jonah. But, you know, I'd heard the story. I knew there was this fish, right, that, that he got swallowed up by. And before I became a Christian, I was like, really? Really? You guys believe that? Okay. Wonderful. But I got to tell you, having been through this with you in the past eight to nine weeks, um, I've learned a, a ton. But it, it, as you've noticed in this series, it's, it's not so much what we're learning about Jonah, the prophet, the man, this disobedient, um, somewhat racist man in the story, really. Uh, what we've been learning about is God. We've been learning a ton about God, who he is. And, and what he's done, what, what his character and attributes are. And, and out of that, of course, we're learning, I hope you've learned, more about, well, who in fact you are. As a human, as an individual who is loved by this God. And then out of that, how we can live. I don't, I, again, I don't know how many we look back on stories like this, 2,700 years old, we're like, really, seriously. How is this possibly going to apply to us today? I mean, anybody. Really? This is an incredible story. And I'm really grateful, actually, to have seen last week uh, and have heard from so many of you uh, how words of God, and specifically about anger, have spoken to you. How you've been motivated to repent. I got the T-shirt. Right? I told you about my broken yokes. Right? Good news, I only broke one this week. God is good and gracious and compassionate. Major lessons. I hope today you will see even more. And what I hope you will see and have seen through this whole series is, like Jonah, we are men and women, all of us today, who desperately need a Savior. Amen? Amen. Let's read our text for today, verses 5 through 11. In conclusion, I'll pray one more time, and then we're going to dive in. You'll remember last week, the scene. Jonah's angry. And then we read, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, 
God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But Jonah, God, pardon me, said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah replied, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant? for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night? And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand for their left hand, and also much cattle? Pray with me, would you? Gracious Heavenly Father, Uh, Yeah, once again, Lord, I just want to thank you so much. As Janice and I, Lord, you heard us this morning coming down to the ledge this morning. We're driving through the torrent of rain. And thinking ahead to this passage today, I'm thinking, Lord, thank you for the east wind and for this torrent of rain. Lord, we just want to thank you for this opportunity to be here today to, to sing our praises Lift up our voices, praising your name, praising the fact and the truth that you are gracious, compassionate, slow to anger. You are so perfect and so wonderful to us. So Lord, I pray as we conclude this message, Holy Spirit, I pray I need your help today. Uh, You know the struggles of this week, Lord. You know the struggles even in my own heart and mind about how to, how to end this well, how to encapsulate all of the things that are going on here in one brief period of time. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak and encourage our hearts today. And I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So as I've, I've wondered many times in the past, uh, thought about this, this concept many times in the past, and of course in preparing for this message, I had to think about it even more so. And it's the difference between two words or two ideas. The one is the word sympathy, right? And the other is the word empathy. I, I've heard people discuss that many, many times in, in the past. And, it's, and you know, there, there's always this, this difference that's highlighted. And the idea is, is that sympathy is, you know, just more or less feeling sorry for someone. You, you hear of a difficulty that they're having in their life, and, and you're sorry. And, 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 and it's something like, oh, that, oh, that's too bad. You know, your response might be, that, oh, that's too bad. I'm sorry for you. I have sympathy for you. But, but, but sympathy doesn't really go farther than that, often. It's a little like posting a reply on social media to a friend's post about some difficulty they're having and saying, Sending you positive thoughts. Or changing our like to the emoji caring. Right? Those are good. Trust me, they're good. Doesn't actually go far enough. And by the way, does anyone actually believe positive thoughts actually go? I'm just. On the other hand, there is this thing called empathy. 
which goes much further by suggesting that you are actually, you're actually feeling for someone. Your heart is hurt for them. You're moving from just sympathy and a quick little comment to, I need to see them. I need to get together with them. I need to talk to them. There needs to be more than this. So, so in essence, you're actually beginning to feel like what they're going through, the pain they're going through, you're experiencing it too. You're suffering with the individual. Well, in the Bible, the word that we most often see or is referenced by empathy is the word compassion. And yet, as I hope we will see today, even in our human sense, we don't see it in its deepest sense. The only way that we can see it in its deepest sense is to see the compassion of God. The compassion that he has for you and for me, for the whole world, goes way farther than that. And I hope that's something that we'll see today, that that will be the big takeaway from not only this message today, but from the whole book, the whole story of Jonah. Your message title for today is The Heart of God. I'll be really honest with you. They're a little bit all over the map, but they're part of the story. So I hope we'll see three things today. Number one, the cold and hardened heart. Secondly, we're going to learn about the vine, the worm, and the wind. And thirdly, the heart of compassion. Point number one, the cold and hardened heart. I'll reread and we'll put verse five on screen for you. What happened next in the story of Jonah in verse five, it says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. And so here we have our poor, our our sad prophet. I mean, things just don't seem to change with Jonah, do they? It's just like... He heads out immediately following the Lord's attempt to console him of his anger. Remember how he tried to console him at the fact that the Lord had shown mercy on these evil and horrible Ninevites, something that he did not want to see happen. And so here he is leaving the city, setting up a booth and sitting down. So the immediate question is, what's he doing? I mean, it's one thing to leave the city, just, okay, go home. Go back to Jerusalem. Go back to your home. Like, leave this area that you didn't want to go to in the first place. The Lord has worked his, his, his compassionate heart on the Ninevites, and, and they have repented, and just go home. Well, we can see right there, we're told in the text, he wants to sit outside of the city. Why? Because he wants to see what will happen to them. He wants to sit outside and look back in and go, all right, see what's going to happen here. And look again. It would appear that he's expecting it might take some time, right? Because he set up a booth. He's kind of like building a little, a tiny home, right? And he wants to stay there for a while. So why is he waiting? What's he waiting for? What does he expect or hope might happen, do you think? There are so many possibilities, but let me maybe name a few for you that you're probably already thinking about. He's likely not certain, don't you think, that maybe their repentance wasn't real. Like like maybe 
he's sitting outside going, yeah, okay. You know, the fear of the Lord came upon them. They were afraid that they were going to be completely obliterated from the planet Earth, which I was kind of hoping for. And uh, so once I leave and God's presence leaves, they're just going to go back to their old ways. I know. That's what's going to happen. So maybe he's looking for that. Maybe he's just sitting there waiting to find out whether their conversion was legit. He has his doubts, and he may even have good reasons, by the way, for that. Let's also see this. He left the city. (laughs) He just left them. right? Like They've displayed repentance. God has told them. They've repented. I've relented because they have repented. Now listen, if if you're a disciple maker of Jesus Christ, like you're, you're commissioned by Jesus, just go and make a convert and say, hey, good luck, and leave them there. Some of us have done that, which is, you know, doomed to failure, at least on our part. So no, no, what, what, what should he have done, maybe, do you think? Oh, hey, guys, this is amazing. Come here. Like, like have you read the Torah? Let me, let me show you the ways of the Torah. Maybe, gentlemen, I hate to mention this, but circumcision, maybe? You need to think about that. And then, you know, maybe we need to build a synagogue and we need to, you know, make sacrifices and only teach you all about that. And what? No? Disciple people? He just left them. Just completely left them. And so they responded to the threat of judgment, but they're not being led to understand the need for these things. They're not being discipled. And so listen, let me bring that home a little bit. We're going to do this a little bit through the message today, not just at the end. We do that as Christians sometimes, don't we? Have you ever done that? Have you, have you ever seen a conversion of someone who you, would, you were thinking like they were a big sinner, right? Like way bigger than me, right? Like they were huge, right? Big, big. I remember uh, three and a half years of full-time ministry at Union Gospel Mission, and I remember seeing people come from the streets, whether they're men or women, men and women involved in alcoholism and drug addiction and mostly women in prostitution, and and seeing these dramatic salvations happen. And and listen, even on, on the part of the counselors, there was like, let's wait and see. You know, because you never know. And, and oftentimes with addictions, people fall back into it. So there's this, there's this tendency to be skeptical. Well, I'm thankful, actually, in the case of Union Gospel Mission, that for the most part, even though the skepticism might be there because you've seen people fall again, no, right, right away they're discipling and teaching and loving and welcoming in to the family of God. And so another reason... For Jonah, it may be that he's still hoping that God will do what he believes God should have done in the first place. As soon as they go back to their old ways, wipe them out. Maybe, maybe these are some of the reasons. So let's also see this. I think it's important. Jonah's alone, right? It says that he built this booth for himself. The truth is, if you go back into the book from verse 1, chapter 1, he's been alone through the whole thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's been on a boat with sailors and there's other people there. But listen, he's been alone related to his community of faith. He's not living in community. He's completely separated himself, not only in his disobedience towards God, but from his own family of faith. And this is clearly not good for him or, listen, for us, when and if we do that. No, in fact, what has led to, and this is all I would suggest in Jonah's life, a very unhealthy preoccupation in his 
heart, and mind about himself. Yeah. When you separate yourself from your family, and you're going through struggles, and you separate yourself from your family, and you call it into question God's goodness towards you, as we're going to see in the rest of the text, it's a recipe for a cold heart, possibly even a hardened heart. That's enough of number one, right? Number two, the vine, the worm, and the wind. This gets interesting. Verse six tells us, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So uh, again, questions. What's God doing here? (laughs) What's he doing? Uh, He's appointed in the past a great fish to swallow up Jonah, right? And now he appoints a plant. Theologians believe this is, I believe the Greek name for it is a resisorous plant or a sisinus plant or a castor oil vine. Uh, that that in, in those days, I mean, it, you plant it and it actually grows very quickly. However, I think from the text we need to see that this was a, a miraculously quick growth to actually cover him. And he appoints this to him. And why does he do this? Well, look, it says right there, he wants to save discomfort. So, so what's God doing, basically, do you think, here? Showing a lot of patience <laughs> for Jonah, Right? He's clearly displaying patience, which takes us back to what we learned early in the story, which was that the Lord not only cared about the people of Nineveh, of course, that was big on his heart, big on his mind. It always was. But his mission wasn't just for them. His mission was for this one man, Jonah. He went to all this trouble throughout this whole story showing patience and love and mercy and kindness to this guy. I love that picture. I love it so much. It reminds me of uh, the guy they call Doubting Thomas, right? Uh, it's, that's not, he, was, he just wanted to have what all the other disciples had had, the benefit of seeing Jesus in the flesh risen from the dead, right? But he's in unbelief. He's not believing until he sees it. And what does Jesus do? He's in compassion. He comes back one week later for one man. That's what God is doing here with Jonah. The whole story has been about the Lord God's pursuit of this man through this whole story. And this is the key. He's been pursuing what? His heart. (laughs) He's been spending all this time and effort besides, you know, wanting to save the people of Nineveh, the 120,000 of them, but he wants to see this man's heart change because why? It's not in line or in tune with God's heart. Such patience. So in our conclusion today, I think we're going to see that this speaks volumes about God's character, how gracious and compassionate and slow to anger he is. We need to be reminded of that. So here we see that, that the Lord appoints a great plant to give Jonah comfort, even while he's still, listen, he's still angry with God for showing the Ninevites. But notice the key word at the end of that verse. It's a word we've already heard, right? It's the word exceedingly. He's exceedingly what? Now he's exceedingly happy. 
for this plan. But you'll remember last week in verse 1 of chapter 4, he was exceedingly angry with God. And now he's exceedingly happy. Simple pleasures, right? Just simple things like that can make you exceedingly happy or exceedingly angry as well. So put yourself, we need to do this a few times today, in Jonah's shoes for a second. After all he's been through so far, it would be fair to say, here's this vine, and it's clearly a gift from God that has, that has brought him this comfort and, 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 and a little bit of joy, right, in the midst of all these things, and, 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 and blessing. So let me ask you this, when you think about your life, and I hope you can see this often, what are your vines that God has provided for you? I already told you one of mine, six and a half days of perfect yokes. A period of three and a half, maybe four days of sunshine a few days ago. What are your vines? What are the things that God has provided to you that when, when they're there, you're like, yeah, these, these are from the hand of God. These are providing me with comfort and joy and blessing, and, and I know they're coming from him. Be mindful of those things. It's good to reflect and listen, remember those good vines from time to time. Especially when, verse 7, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm <laughs> that attacked the plant so that it withered. So again, come on. Imagine Jonah's mind here, right? Like this is a day. One day of vine, right? Just one day. And he's, he's, on that day, like when evening comes, he's going, finally. It's like, finally, things are looking up for me. Oh, I'm not even worried about the Ninevites right now because this is good. This is really awesome what's been happening to me. I love this. And then he wakes up the next morning looking forward to another day of sunshine, of comfort and blessing. And hold on. The Lord God appoints a worm. So again, putting yourself in Jonah's shoes, you're like, okay, God, what is going on here? Do we really have to do this? Like, why, why this? Why now? Can we just move the clocks back again? Maybe? So you think about what he's feeling about, and he's got to be asking himself, what's going on here this worm comes and destroys my happiness. One day you pour it your blessing, the next day you take it away. What kind of a God are you? He's not slow to anger, is he? <laughs> he forgets pretty quickly. So again, the vine brought comfort, blessing, and joy to Jonah. The worm, well, clearly it brought him sorrow, disappointment, and loss. So, what are your worms? These are some post-Sunday content questions you can go into small group and talk about, right? What are your worms? What are the things, just like broken yolks that just happen, you know, and they just, like, just take the joy out of the day despite the fact that yesterday was awesome. They're... By the way, my wife is into permaculture gardening. Worms are everywhere. We've got a... They're being birthed in our garage, okay? They're all over the place. What's your worm? What has brought you sorrow? Really, no, these are, these are serious. They bring you sorrow. What has God taken away from you? Where have you experienced loss? These are important things to look at because, again, it's going to help us in our faith and walk with Christ, but also in our understanding of how good our God is to everyone all the time. 
Verse 8a says, when the sun rose, God wasn't done. God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. Ever had stroke, sunstroke? Whew. Right. At first you just think you're just a little uneasy and then you realize, no, I'm sick. This, this is really bad. So you can almost hear Jonah now, full of sight, self-pity, right? You can just imagine this guy. I don't know. I'm not going to try to speak with a Jewish accent because that would be whatever. But, you know, it's a little bit like, right, I knew this wouldn't last. This is too good to be true. I, I know what you're like. You're just teasing me. Just when I'm beginning to feel good about myself and about life, God, you just keep taking it away. What have I done now? It's got to be some of his thoughts. This is happening in one 24-hour period to him, and it's pretty intense after all he's been through. So full stop. Have you ever, think about it, ever been this way with God? Boy. So a, a metaphorical vine brings you comfort, blessing, and joy. Think about it. Then a worm shows up, bringing sorrow, disappointment, and loss. Now there's this wind bringing pain, affliction, and distress. So what, again, is your east wind? What what gets to the point? What aggravates your life to the point where you're like, like we looked at last week with anger or with idols, that if, if this continues, life is just not worth living? What is it? Friends, I, I think we all have it. It doesn't just have to be, you know, you get to a point where your own health is failing and, and you're, you know, you might die or, or others are around you. It, it, so many, so many things in the human experience can bring us to this point. Life is not always rosy, is it? So what do you wish to a certain extent would go away? What worms and east winds would you like to leave you right now. (laughs) Leave your life. So listen, this might be a good time to actually reflect on something about the story of Jonah that we haven't discussed before. I think this would be a good time for us to see something about this. As I mentioned early on in the book, this book was probably either written by Jonah himself or by someone whom he told the story to, right? But think about this. This is really interesting. Would you want this story about the way you behaved recorded? Would you? No. I want to write my own biography, okay, or autobiography, all right? And it's not going to include, would it? Would yours? Seriously. Why did he do this? Why was he so honest? May I suggest to you, this is a confession. Jonah's confessing. Look, this is who I am. This is who I was. This is exactly how I behaved. Is there any other possibility other than the fact that he was delusional, didn't realize it was going to end up in the Bible, and 2,700 years later, people like you and I would be looking... What? This might make more sense even in conclusion today. But think about that, please. So listen, now before we leave this part about the vine, the worm, and the wind, we need to ask a very important question that people have, you might have. Which of these come from God? Which of these are actually God's will that they 
happen to you and come into your life, right? Some would prefer to see this uh, this way. The vine came from God, but God allowed the worm and the wind, right? God just allowed those things to happen. This is about the providence and sovereignty of God in your life, in my life, in the life of every human being. And so the truth is, the text answered that question for us perfectly, didn't it? God appointed a great fish. He, first of all, hurled a wind at the sea. He caused that storm. He appointed a great fish to swallow him up. He told the great fish when to vomit him up. God appointed every single one of these things to happen in his life. The vine, the worm, and the east wind. Why, God, would you do this? We like the first one. Heap those upon us. Why would you do this? Well, I want to suggest to you as we move on, Jonah's confession is intended to teach us that God's hand was as much in the worm and the wind as it was in the vine, and that it is the same for you and I today. It's intended for our good, but how? The last part of verse 8 says, And he, Jonah, asked that he might die, (laughs) and said, It is better for me to die than to live. So once again, after these things are happening to him in his life, he's confessing these things are happening, and, and he's now at the point where he's basically saying, Okay, look, Yeah, okay, look at me, look at me. I'm being very self-focused. I'm depressed. I'm angry with God. I'm just at the point where I just honestly felt this, that because of the pit that I'd allowed myself to fall into, Lord, just kill me. Because at the end of the day, I am a believer. I do believe in Yahweh God, so I do believe I am going to be with him. So this life, however, come on. Can we be done with this kind of stuff? People get there. People do get there. It's always good in scripture when you read the words, but God. Verse 9 begins with, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? <laughs> Jonah, let's talk. He's rationalizing with him. He's trying to reason with this man, right? And then, of course, Jonah replies, yep, darn tootin'. Come on, I have every right to be angry. So he thinks. So the short conversation is interesting. Of course, the Lord God asked Jonah the same question that he asked him in verse four, but with a small twist. The first time God asks, do you do well to be angry? And as I suggested last week, he's kind of like going, is this working for you, Jonah? Come on. Do you really think being angry at me, being angry at the situation or being angry at what you think I should have done, but didn't do is helping you? And instead now we see that it's turned and, and, and he's, he's asking the question in, in this way. He says, um, are, you, are you angry because of this plant? Just this little tiny, this is making you angry? This? He says, I know you're angry because you knew I am gracious and merciful and slow to anger. And yes, because the Ninevites repeat, repented of their evil and I relented not to destroy them. That's why you were angry and why you were angry and you felt you were rightfully angry. But here the twist is, now you're angry about this little plant that gave you comfort for one day. So what's God doing? What's, what's the point of him rationalizing, debating with him even, about his feelings. 
Well, more than anything, the Lord God wants to break Jonah, obviously, of his selfish and prideful attitude, and especially because that is what is keeping him, Jonah, from having the heart that God wants him to have, like the heart that God has for everyone. What kind of a prophet are you? What good do you think you can do just by yelling at people? Some preachers think that's the whole point. Just yell. Be angry scare people. It does. It's not the point. It's to reveal God's heart that I love you. So there's also this. God is using the worm and the wind to save Jonah from, listen, a vine-centered life. God, God knows us really well, right? He, he just knows that if everything is up and to the right all the time, you know, whew, that you know, we are just going to become so self-focused, so focused on the good life and the good things that people in need, people hurting, the gospel? Hey. A vine-centered person is one who is so taken up with the joy of God's gifts, you probably have seen this maybe in your own life, that they end up loving the gift more than the giver. We end up forgetting <laughs> who gave this to us. We end up believing the, the lies that, you know what, I earned this. Through my brilliance and smart business acumen, I earned this, this life. So today we might see this attitude alive and well and what has become known as, you know, you know what it's called. It's called the prosperity gospel, a false gospel that suggests that what God really wants most is to make you and I healthy, wealthy, maybe wise, that would be a benefit, but healthy and wealthy all the time, right? No pain, no suffering, just healthy and wealthy. But friends, the danger for all of us, even as Christians, is we might know this in our minds that it's a false gospel. However, we like Jonah can all believe this false gospel functionally by the way we actually respond to the worms and the winds. So Jonah had to be angry before God, gave him the vine, but the vine made him happy. The anger seemed to have gone away for 24 hours, right? He was happy again, but in reality, listen, the anger was actually just hidden. It was still there. His heart was still hard and cold. And so God knew that he had to deal with that. And so what you and I need is the opposite of a vine-centered life. It's the opposite of what Jonah needed, which which was a vine-centered life. He needed a God-centered life. And this, by the way, in our concluding verses, is what it looks like. Number three, the heart of compassion. And the Lord said, Jonah, you had pity for the plant. You pity the plant. Pity, by the way, in, in the original language is compassion. You had compassion for a plant for which you did not labor. By the way, you didn't labor to grow that plant. You did not make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. You had nothing to do with it. So the Lord begins by pointing out to Jonah that he's placing his hope and trust for his comfort in, obviously, the wrong places and the wrong things in a plant that he had nothing to do with in a vine-centered life. This is more like it. Eat, drink, and be merry. This is the kind of life that I want to live. 
He didn't prepare this soil. He didn't plant the seed, didn't water it, didn't make it grow so fast, and yet it's gone as fast as it came. And then he reveals the big, big lesson to Jonah in this passage and in the whole book, and also to you and I, when he says these words in verse 11. And should not I pity, have compassion on Nineveh? that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people. Listen, the Bible numbers things. Why? Because it's history. It's factual. And God knew every hair on every head in that city as well. Who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. He cares about all these things. So the Lord asked Jonah to compare, listen, to compare his pity, his compassion for the plant to the Lord's compassion toward a city of more than 120,000 living and breathing image bearers of God. Human beings. Lost souls. But souls, listen, nonetheless. So clearly we see all this dramatic contrast between the heart of God and the heart of Jonah, right? It's, it's a dramatic contrast. But friends, we, we need to ask ourselves today as we, we're going to reflect on this throughout the week. I mean, honestly, how, how compassionate and soft and loving is our heart really? I have to ask myself that question a lot this week. So clearly we've seen this. God is redeeming sinners as his spirit sweeps through Nineveh. Jonah is outside the city absorbed with his own problems and brooding over his disappointments. And what we see here is that compassion is drowning in a sea of self-pity. Not a heart for others. So let's reflect on the heart of God here at this point in Jonah's life. What's his desire, do you think? Well, his desire is that Jonah have his heart toward the people of Nineveh. Of course. So going back to what we looked at in the beginning related to sympathy and empathy, I think we can see here clearly that compassion is more than feeling sorry for people, right? In their lost condition, it's actually about taking action so that redeeming love may reach them. And that is the heart of God that we see in this story that we need to see. We see it on display through the whole whole story. We see it in an unusual way. Listen, an unusual way in his last words here where he says, they do not know their left hand from the right. I've read a number of commentators on this, but even when I read that for myself for the first time, it's a little bit like God looking down on Vancouver and going, these people are just dumb. In the original language, you, you, you could sense that a little bit. But it speaks to the heart of the compassion of God, not that. It's a little bit like, in the Hebrew language, it would come across this way. It's a little bit like what you and I would say before Google Maps. We would say, okay, here's what you do. You go down the Sea to Sky Highway, you turn left at Horseshoe Bay, right? And then you go right over the Lionsgate Bridge, and then you go left again down West Georgia, and then you turn right, and yeah, that's where you want to end up. We would give directions that way. What God is getting at here is... And this is most important that we see this. The, the compassion and love of God is that these, these people have lost their way. They've lost their way. They've lost their way morally. 
spiritually, they're bankrupt. And so, again, go back to the beginning of the book. I want you to go and preach to them because I've seen their evil way. Why? Because I've seen what it's doing to them. I've seen how it's hurting them, how it's destroying them. They're completely lost. That's the kind of compassion that God has that motivates him to come and die for us on the cross. Many years ago, I mentioned to you about my, my good friend, mentor last week, Doug Yackel, who passed away. He uh, helped me uh, for a period of time lead a home church. It's a long story, but in Langley for about 18 months. And we, we decided at one point to, to have a little bit of a retreat, right? It was just awesome. And we took the whole uh, group. It was about 18 or 20 adults and a bunch of kids. And we went over to Salt Spring Island, land of hemp. I love it over there. It's awesome. Where my sister and brother-in-law were uh, running a hostel, but in the, in the winter time or fall season and winter, they would close it down. And so we, we rented it, basically, and we went over and spent some time there. It was awesome. And, and Doug was doing some teaching, and we were having a great time. One night, we're sitting there, and... Um, uh, where he's doing his Bible teaching, and our son Jonathan, most of you know Jonathan, he's our youngest, and he was like two or three years of age, I think, and Mike and Paula had this wood-burning stove with a beautiful window in there, it's just, it's just blaring away, and I remember sitting there in a chair, and at one point, we're all talking, and we're listening to Doug, and, and all of a sudden, Jonathan starts wobbling towards the fireplace, and he puts his hand out to the glass, and we're all going, no! It was too late. He touched the glass. And, and of course, the, the minute that happened, there was, well, there was a few seconds where he went, and then you know what happened. Scream, right? Doug is a medical doctor, and Janice was a nurse, right? She is a nurse. And, of course, people sprung into action. And we're getting cold water on his hand. Paula, do you have any aloe? Paula has all aloe. She's on Salt Spring Island, right? So we're getting that on his hand, and he's being looked after, and, and he's being cared for. And, and a month and a half, two months later, his hand was still black. Jonathan, if you're watching online, I'm sorry to bring this memory back to you, okay? Seriously, it's... You can imagine as a parent, right? Think about it. I believe that's a picture of God's compassion for the people of Vancouver, for the people of Squamish, for the people of Nineveh. I, I, I can see you, you're, 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 you're heading towards a fire. It's going to consume you. I love you. And he acts, he steps out in compassion. You'll all know this and remember this, that God had compassion for Nineveh. Do you remember the time in the New Testament where Jesus is standing outside of Jerusalem and he's weeping? Why? He had compassion for them because they were sheep without a shepherd. The great shepherd had come. Do you remember the words that he uttered when he was on the cross? Nailed to the cross, about to die. And he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know their left hand from their right hand. Jonah is such an incredible picture, friends, of the plan of God for you and for myself. So in conclusion, commentators will all tell you that this is a cliffhanger ending, right? This is an ending in, in this story where it's like, what happened to Jonah? We don't know what happened to him. It's like the elder son in the parable of the prodigals, right? Does he ever come into the banquet? 
know, does, does Jonah come back to God? And people were like, well, what kind of an ending is that? I'll tell you what kind of an ending it is. It's completely intentional. Completely intentional. The Holy Spirit inspired Jonah to confess his story and because he's repenting. And he's looking back because God has continued to do work in his life and in his heart as he'd been doing in these four chapters. And that's what you and I need to take away today. Jesus and the Holy Spirit know full well that the day you and I place our faith in Christ for our salvation, something that we cannot earn on our own, but that he has done for us, they know full well that the Christian life is not going to be all vines. It's not going to be rosy. It's not going to be up and to the right all the time. They know that. It's the beginning, listen, it's the beginning of your salvation and your transformation from the old you into the new you that God has in mind for you. It's called your sanctification. And that's why this story ends this way. Because listen, your story's not over. God's still doing a work in you. Amen? Does God still need to do a work in you? Amen? I'm so thankful. He's continuing to do a work in me. Pray with me, would you?